Hi guys, welcome to episode 44 of Honestly Unbalanced. This week we chat to a lovely doctor called Tosin Sotubo and she is a medical doctor working in London as an NHS and private GP and she's got a real passion for spreading health awareness. So from this passion she founded Mind Body Doctor which is her friendly and accessible space where she can educate and inspire as many people as possible to look after their health. And Dr Tosin has this huge focus on diversity and representation in health and wellness to reflect people from all backgrounds and walks of life and in this episode we talk about all sorts of things like life life as a GP and the frustration around not being able to help patients enough bringing awareness to more taboo topics surrounding women's health which I found super interesting Uh, the danger of the google doctor what it means to be an expert nutrition and its links to wellness and so much more this is a really great episode so I really hope you enjoy it as much as we did also guys we have a couple of retreats coming up that you might be interested in so end of July for one week from the 24th to the 31st me Adam Emma Henry and our lovely friend and yoga teacher Mark Ruck are running a seven-day yoga meditation sound healing retreat set in the beautiful hills of Spain Uh, if you're interested in that one just head to the website www.com thehustlers.com you'll find all the information there and then the second one we've got coming up is also so exciting and I can't wait for this one this one's uh, island hopping around Sicily on a yacht at the end of September and also the information is on our website too so just head over there if you're interested and we would love to have you And one last thing before I let you go and listen to the episode. I'm so excited to let you know that I'm releasing my second single out into the world and it's called Luna and it's being released on the 26th of May. I'd be so grateful if you could just take two minutes to go and pre-save it on Spotify if you feel inclined to do so. And you can go to hollyhustler.com forward slash links to do that and also if you're interested I'm running an event to release it and to launch it which is the same day so it's Wednesday the 26th of May it's 8 till 9 30 in the evening it's online and it's called trust your intuition so I'll be leading you through a beautiful guided meditation to connect with your inner voice and your inner wisdom and then you'll get to lie down and experience a beautiful sound journey of crystal singing bowls and my singing voice and of course I will also be singing my new single Luna on the harp as well and you can book all of that through the same place hollyhustler.com forward slash links thanks so much guys and enjoy the episode for me i have to write everything down it's lists upon lists upon lists if it's not down on paper i will forget it so i have like about five lists every day and they're split into you know my gp work and things i have to follow up with patients and split into my mind body doctor works and my platform and then split into my life um, and everything else And I actually have to write down that I need to, you know, call this friend and check in on this person because otherwise I just forget. So I have to write down every single thing. And when you're someone who has to hold space for so many people and look after so many people, do you, they often say that doctors make the worst patients. So do you you find that you actually do prioritise your own health and, you know, physically and mental or does that come at the bottom of your list? How do you, where does that come on your many lists? Yeah, unfortunately, that saying is pretty true. Doctors do make the worst patients. I think we're so good at looking after others that often we just, we 
put ourselves last, which is definitely not great. And I always have to remind myself to practice what I pe preach because I'm always talking about, you know, rest, self-care, mental health. And often, you know, I'm reserving my tank for everyone else and not for myself. So I do, I think I have to be intentional about it. Mm. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of my colleagues or other healthcare professionals, I think they also really need to be intentional about actually looking after themselves because at the end of a busy, long working day, when you've given so much to others, it's really difficult to then have energy or any empathy to put into yourself. But I think you just need to be intentional about actually taking a break and saying, okay, how am I feeling? How am I doing? What do I need to do? what are the things that I enjoy doing? How do I make that time for myself? Mm. Mm. And I have to remind myself of that pretty much daily. There, there is, I think, in the medical world, from like speaking to friends or kind of just listening to podcasts who are like, not a glorification of busy, but almost an obligation to yeah. be busy and to stay over, etc. cetera. Uh, and I think it was Matthew Walker, the guy that wrote the book on sleep. He was on a podcast and he mentioned, you know, talking about, uh, sli uh, sleep or lack of sleep for doctors and I think it was uh, back in maybe like the 1950s like loads of cocaine usage was encouraged before people <gasps> really knew cocaine what, was doctors? that bad to keep to keep working and keep pushing oh yeah so like did, did you find that I guess in medical school like how did you like su survive it like what was your tactics there was it was medical school harder than life now I guess less responsibility but maybe more pressure yeah, I can see where I can see where you're coming from with that. Um, I definitely wasn't relying on cocaine. <laughs> that was my next question. <laughs> um, but yeah, medical school is it's a lot of fun. I will say. Well, I personally had fun. It's hard work, and you definitely have the pressure to meet standards and be like everyone else because you go from being in school where usually people that go into medical school are generally pretty bright so you're going from being in school where actually mm -hmm. you do well in class to being in medical school where you're surrounded by all of these type a um top level students and actually you're just another little person who has to work extra hard to be at the top which is what I felt like anyway so you do have to work extra hard but it is a lot of fun and I think you just have to find the balance like with everything in life and for me um, definitely I think being a working adult is harder than medical <laughs> school I think medical school like you said you have less responsibility um, although it is the onus is on you to get through exams and to study, but you generally, you don't have the weight of the world on you. Um, not that everyone has that as an adult, but you just have a lot more responsibility in your everyday life as an adult. Mm. And what area did you decide to go into just for the sake of the listener? Sure. So I'm a general practitioner, yeah. which is, I guess, depending on what area of the world you're listening from, it's basically a family doctor. So you deal with everything and anything a little bit of everything basically and you've moved quite um i see that you've moved towards more women's health now is that right and you're you're trying to bring more awareness around women's health at the moment and th the things that aren't spoken about so much which is what i really love about what you're doing um 
like Adam had a little stalk of the old Instagram and I was seeing that you were talking about, you know, periods and miscarriages and the, the things that are kind of quite taboo in the world still, weirdly, today. So what was it that inspired you to go in that direction? Yeah, definitely. I think for me, it was just a natural progression. Actually, I won't say it's a natural progression. Back in the day, I did want to do obstetrics and gynecology. So basically babies and vaginas. Yeah. That's, what I wanted to do. <laughs> That's what I wanted to do. And then um, when you become a doctor, um, you start your training by doing different specialities. And I ended up doing obstetrics and gynecology as my first rotation and found out that I absolutely hated surgery. I couldn't stand it. <laughs> it just wasn't for me. And obstetrics and gynecology, a big part of that is surgery. Yeah. It's um, doing the um, surgeries, giving birth, C-sections, all of that. So I was like, okay, maybe this isn't the path for me. <laughs> and then I realized actually a lot of being a general practitioner is managing women's health. And I then went on, whilst I was doing my training to become a GP, I also did a diploma in family planning and sexual health, which is a lot about women's health. So for me, that's really where my interest came from. But I guess also from there, it's just been a general kind of transition to speak about it a lot more on my social media because I just feel as women, our bodies go through so much and so many changes from puberty to possible pregnancy to menopause to periods every single month mm. and I just don't feel we talk about it enough I don't feel that you know what we go through is normalized enough I don't feel like the conversations are being had and I feel like a lot of women are suffering in silence mm. um, so I definitely just wanted to bring more of a voice and more of a conversation around it to just make it feel like a normal conversation it's so it's so important. I was just going to say because you know we've been trying for a baby for a year, and I've had a miscarriage myself and an ectopic pregnancy. And the problem I find is that well, I guess it's a problem. It's not. There's so much information on the internet, and actually, you wrote a post about the Google Doctor, mm -hmm. and you can find just such a wide spectrum of answers and people experiencing different things and you know try this to get pregnant and don't do this and and, and then you just don't end up knowing where to to look so I guess is that part of your goal then to have a sort of platform where people can come to get you know reliable information that is that is correct and how do you see how do you see it going I suppose yeah, exactly. I think it's so difficult. I think the internet is such a great tool and social media is such a great tool because you can go on and you have all this information at your fingertips. But at the same time, anyone can put information on the mm. internet. Anyone can put yeah, information exactly. on social media. Everyone can be an expert in whatever field they choose to be an <laughs> expert in. So it can be really dangerous, especially when it comes to your health and especially when people are listening to you and taking that information in so yeah for me I just started to see you know there's just so many people on social media talking about health and talk about wellness which is great because I think we need to talk about it more mm. but I think you know the 
the conversation and the information needs to be reliable and people need to feel comfortable and confident in what they're reading. So yeah, that's a big part of what I do, trying to dispel a lot of myths Mm. um, and trying to just bring reliable information, but also in, you know, a comfortable and friendly way, which is what I try to do. But this is this is something quite challenging with the wellness industry generally. Is it, I think people always have good intentions. You know, of course, there might be some people cynically who are just trying to make money. But generally speaking, most people in the wellness industry, whatever that is, have good intentions mm. to help people improve their wellness. But those intentions don't necessarily meet their qualifications. <laughs> and, and, and it's all well and good, like wanting to help someone to diet. But if, you're, you know, if your knowledge of diet is limited to you reading Men's Health and doing like a week-long course, it's, it's, yeah. not, it's, not, that, yeah. it's not that helpful. Uh, and, and so do you find it kind of a responsibility now to dispel myths and to correct people? Like what's your, what's your approach to it? Yeah, I definitely, I love dispelling myths personally because, and that's something that I didn't realize that people would enjoy, especially on my page, because you just assume, well, as a doctor, you kind of assume people know the basics of health and wellness, but actually you'll be surprised at how many people just don't. So I started doing, when I first started my page, I started doing weekly myth busters. Love that. Um, and people would be messaging me like, oh my gosh, I just, I thought that was true. I, this is what I've thought for so many years. I'm like, really? <laughs> what kind, what kind of stuff? I know, I was going to say, oh, can you, you give I us one? I think, um, what was I doing? I did a fertility one. So there's a lot on women's fertility and, you know, people assume that you can get pregnant by having sex in certain positions or <laughs> um, they assume infertility issues are, mainly to do with the women and that just isn't the case and yeah so those are those are a couple that spring to mind mm. um but there are some far more ridiculous ones mm-hmm. but um yeah so definitely i think there is a big onus on me and i think other healthcare professionals to kind of show up and give reliable information um and sometimes calling people out not not in a mean way um but actually, if I see someone that's posting possible harmful information, I sometimes do message them mm. um, personally and just say, actually, mm, I'm not sure about this or have you read this and actually provide them with some useful, reliable um, information. Because, you know, I think there is a bit of onus on everyone on social media to yeah. make sure that we're, we're given safe information out. Yeah. Has, has that ever been met with hostility by anyone before? <laughs> I will say I probably don't do it as often as I would like to because yeah. I'm a bit of a scaredy cat. <laughs> um, but I've done it a couple of times. And actually, I think those couple of times have been with people that I kind of feel like yeah. I have a relationship with anyway that mm. I can say that to. Mm. So it's always been met generally quite well. So um, I think I'm yet to challenge someone mm. who may actually you know come back at me in an unpleasant way i guess the other end of the spectrum is because everyone does know that anyone can put anything on the internet it kind of almost encourages people to really do the research and really look for the legit people now because i know well we all know that any tom tom dick and harry can write whatever they want so in a way maybe it makes people do you know what i mean look harder for the real people 
I think so. And I, I also think you don't actually have to be a, you don't actually have to have certain credentials yeah. to be an expert in a field. So I don't think you need to be a doctor to be able to give reliable health information. Yeah, yeah. You just need to have done the research and put in the work. Yeah. And I think nowadays we see people are experts in certain fields that actually they didn't go to university for that. Mm. They didn't study years for that, but they've studied in their own right to become an expert, if that makes sense. Mm. Yeah. So I think that if you've done the work and you looked at the research, you understand health and you understand wellness and you can speak to it from a comfortable and reliable space, I think that's okay as, mm. as well. I don't think you necessarily need to have gone to university to study X degree. Yeah, indeed. Anyone, anyone can read in theory all the books that you have <laughs> in theory. Not that they would, but yeah, no. In theory, like information is available and out there. One, one question I would have in relation to that is: it's all, I guess, well and good doing it on social media, which is wonderful, and it's a challenge in itself. But how do you deal with it when you have people in front of you and you're when you're practicing? And people in the room with you who are talking about conspiracy theories or <laughs> against vaccines or like, like what, what, that must be really hard to deal with that on a one-to-one level because you know it's very hard to, to say to someone that is so convinced, well, here is a book, read it for you now when you're trying to help them in that moment. Yeah, it's not easy, especially when you have 10 minutes, which yeah. is what we have in the UK for our GP consultations. You have 10 minutes for a patient, mm. which is really difficult. Um, but for me, I think it's important to hear where someone's coming from and to hear, number one, where they got that information from and why they believe in that information. And often it can be for many reasons, sometimes religious, sometimes the way that someone was brought up. And I think it's really hard to then just to go in and say, well, you know, that's wrong. This is why. I think you have to understand where they're coming from mm. first to then be able to possibly change their way of thinking. And often it doesn't happen in 10 minutes. Mm. Often it's a gradual process. So I think understanding where someone's coming from background and their train of thought is really important before actually kind of providing them with an alternative way of thinking mm. <laughs> i love that you incorporate nutrition a lot into what you do as well because this might be a myth that you you might bust but um you know you hear a lot that in medical school nutrition isn't a big part of the training which i've that's always blown my mind because we all know how much your diet affects your physical health and it's so you know so many diseases and illnesses are related to poor diet so is is that true that you don't receive much nutritional information at, at medical school yeah unfortunately it's it's very true mm. um i think things are changing and there's actually a group of medical well a couple of medical students who started a organization called NutriTank. i don't know if you've heard of it mm. but they are doing a lot of work to try and change the curriculum when it comes to medical school teaching in terms of nutrition because we i can't remember how how long and i think just a couple of lectures in terms of you know more about the digestive system and the way it works rather than actually nutrition and how important it is um to the human body and in terms of actually lots of chronic illnesses that we mm. see these days mm. and our mental health as well we didn't get taught any of that so mm. a lot of it 
is learning on the job and just self-learning. And for those of us who are a little bit more interested, going away and doing that extra reading for ourselves, unfortunately. Mm. And I guess with regards to nutrition, I could be hypothesizing, but I guess when a lot of these curriculums are made, nutrition, you know, knowledge of nutrition was slightly less. And I guess maybe it was, you know, targeting a particular demographic of, I guess, just kind of white people from kind of European backgrounds. And now, of course, people from a huge variety of ethnicities that perhaps generationally have spent forever eating certain diets and eating certain foods are now in the UK, perhaps eating diets that perhaps aren't so suited for them or everyone is kind of eating roughly the same kind of junk food <laughs> that wasn't really designed for anyone in the first place so if that makes it even even more complex not only f- understanding food but understanding the right food and the right diet for the right individual based on on their demographic 100 percent, and i think this is something that um i have such difficulty with because often the information out there still to this day is targeted at a certain demographic, you know, a white demographic. Mm. And a lot of the research that was done was on a white male. And that's what a lot of our textbooks were based on. Um, But even now, a lot of the information that's being given is still targeted at a certain demographic. And like you said, our society is so diverse and you can't give people a one size fits all approach, especially when it comes to nutrition. You're asking someone who's been eaten a certain diet for their whole lives to suddenly completely change and it's just never going to work so i think there's so much work that needs to be done in terms of that space and there's definitely people starting to do the work to make the changes and definitely seeing it but we have a long long way to go mm-hmm. i think is there any kind of body out there uh, like an international body that kind of gets data from studies in various universities and cities across the world and kind of and brings that together and then tries to create articles based on what they're seeing from across the world i, I guess the world health organization might or might not do that but is, is there anything that actually does it formally and says like let's say we've all the papers that have been written all the research papers that are written on diet this year from across the world we're kind of mixing together and seeing you know the results from that and combining um off the top of my head i would have said the world health organization i don't know if they do it that intricately mm. um but they are kind of the number one for looking at health across the border but when it comes down to you know specifics such as nutrition or sleep and looking at different research across the world I can't say that I know if there's a specific body that actually does it to that level. It might be something to look into. That you could create. Something that I could create. <laughs> Side I'm project. Sure. <laughs> I'm not sure about that. That sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> Should we talk a little bit about your journey? Now, how did it all sort of start, the, the journey to mind-body doctor? Yeah, for me, um, so obviously um, I'm a doctor. So yeah. I, health is within me and interest in health and wellness is kind of ingrained in me and it's what I love to do but I think it really started when I started working as a GP um, and I just became a little bit frustrated with the with not being able to give my patients the tools and the knowledge that I actually felt they needed I felt that I just wasn't giving them enough 
in my 10 minute consultations. So I thought, okay, let me take it outside the four walls of my consultation room and what better than social media mm. to start off with. And so I created my social media page and my website. And from there, I could really talk to as many people as I wanted and as possible about health and the importance of really taking care of your health and just sharing small little nuggets of information in the hopes that someone somewhere will learn something and so that's really where it started off from and I've been fortunate to be able to do some amazing things and speak on some great stages and platforms and really you know share my passion which is for me is an amazing because when you go to medical school and you become a doctor you don't expect to be able to do all these other yeah. things on the side so it's been such a great journey so far and i guess is this to some degree endorsed by nhs and your surgery or are you just doing this fully on your own like can you tell your patients to follow you on social which kind of seems like an odd thing for a doctor to do <laughs> but in this sense obviously it, it makes complete sense like is it so is it something that's supported by the place of work um yes in a sense i would say most of it is kind of me doing it on my own um and i don't tend to share it with my patients i don't know i think it's difficult the boundaries are difficult mm. sometimes it's difficult to know where the boundaries are and then Obviously, <laughs> you can't have patients messaging your DM yeah. via social media <laughs> as well. You don't have a little so. thing on the prescription with your with your app. <laughs> Instagram handle. Who <laughs> <laughs> you knows? Um, yeah, so I think I do try and keep the two quite separate, to be honest, just to protect kind of my clinical work and my patients in that mm. space more than protecting my social media. I think it's more about my day-to-day work and protect my patients and what is the aim for you is the aim for it to be something in its own right that perhaps other doctors are involved in and other professionals or do you see it is intrinsically linked to you I think for the most part intrinsically linked to me I think for the most part my aim is to really build a name for myself and to really be a face that people can go to and identify with reliable information when it comes to health and wellness and for me I think representation is also a big part of Mm. it I think when I started my page what I was hesitant at first was that oh actually there's quite a few people in this space doing something like this so I there was a few doctors already you know talking about health awareness and sharing information Mm. but then I actually thought actually there's no one that looks like me Mm. there's no one of my skin color female doing this type of thing and for me that was an issue in itself Mm. that actually why should there only be one of me as well there should be lots of people that look like me that can speak to an audience where people can actually relate to me um in a certain aspect so for me that's a big part of it as well and that is that is so important i I was one of one of my friends the doctor in in another city and you know he was he he was pulled in as not pulled in as it were but to speak to a certain community that were uh, resisting vaccinations etc because he was someone that they could resonate with and and vice versa i think that's what we need we need people it's so important that yeah doctors aren't just of a completely different type that everyone can identify with it and of course it can't come to a point where we make sure in every surgery there was someone from every demographic that would be impossible but Mm. but certainly public facing yeah i do i do think so and 
you know, just like you were saying, the example with your friend, I've been in similar situations where people have asked me to speak because they feel like, you know, certain people would relate to me. And I, at first I'm like, oh, am I only being asked to speak on this because Mm. of the color of my skin? Mm. But actually I've now just taken that as a positive that actually, Mm. great, if this brand or if this company want someone that can reach to a certain audience that's great i'm going to be that person i'm going to use it i'm going to speak to people so they feel that they can relate to me Mm. um so yeah i i think it's i think it's good i think we need to be more inclusive i think Mm. this year has taught us that we need to be more inclusive and i'm hoping that you know things just improve from here in terms of that aspect of things Mm. and and you've had some really like quite quite significant not growth is a growth, but uh, publication. You've been around a lot. You've been in various. Sounds dodgy. It does sound dodgy. You have made multiple media media appearances for the for good reasons in like newspapers, blogs, like quite big publications. And I guess like the question, like how did you get yourself out there so quickly? Like you've done really well in getting yourself out there. Was that just a lot of work? Did you have connections, friends helping you? um thank you very much it's I don't know is the answer (laughs) I always when people reach out to me I'm always like how did you hear about me how did you find out about me um yeah I I just assume it's from you know the work that I'm putting out Mm. there on social media and I try to be consistent although it's difficult sometimes actually with work and I think, you know, when you do one thing, if someone sees that, then they see the work that you've done and they reach out to you from there. And I think that's, you know, it's just become a little bit of a cycle mm. through that. When I do one piece of work, someone sees it and they reach out from there. So I think that's mostly the way that I've kind of gotten my face out there so far. Do you find it difficult to switch off? I can imagine that you're just always thinking about work. Do you actually have, well, like you said earlier, intentional time? Do you know, you know, do you have like a weekend day off, for instance, where you go and let your hair down and have fun? I'm just intrigued. Yeah, I definitely do. I, I don't think I find it too difficult to switch off. Um, I definitely have my go-to and my coping mechanisms. For me, I love being outdoors. Mm. I love exercising. I'm a sports person. I just, I love being on the go. So for me, actually, exercising is my form of switching off. Even Mm. for some people, that does not sound like switching off. But for (laughs) me, exercising and being outdoors, that's my time to switch off and Mm. just to focus on me. Um, so yeah I don't think I, I don't think I find it too difficult and some days I'll just be like okay no social media no work no emails mm. and actually I try to get in those kind of days at least once a week to really just check out and focus on me my family mm. my friends and that's real balance isn't it and balance is health at the end of the day I think so you're legit <laughs> it's hard it's not easy it i made it sound easy it's not hard it's, it's hard it's not easy yeah what was what what was uh the journey pre-social media like in becoming a doctor in the first place was that always an aim from since you were a child yeah i would say it was a gradual progression um from being i guess in secondary school so around my teenage years um it was just a gradual progression for me i think people 
often think doctors have this like aha moment mm. where they realize they want to be a doctor but for me after I did a couple of work experiences so spending time in hospitals I realized actually this is exactly what I want to do I think it was just the fast-paced nature of it coupled with being able to actually help someone and have an mm. impact on someone's life mm. I found it so fascinating so for me it was just a gradual progression and I realized that I liked it and I applied for it when I um, did my university applications and then yeah the rest is history <laughs> it's a good job is that work experience because it can go both ways can't it I did it I, I <laughs> thought it was gonna be a dentist at one point did you I was about 14 so that is that, well, that's kind of the age you do work experience yeah, isn't it yeah and I was, uh, you know, at my school, that's kind of what you did. Like law, medicine, Oxford, Cambridge, maybe dentistry slides in there, unless you're particularly good at something else. And I went to the, de- I went to the dentist and I was, remember being in a room with like four very big people, like a patient and their whole family. Like it was a really hot day. They it were just big people. Like, and the, it was hot and it was sweaty and there was blood oh. and I had to leave you know I had to like delete I had to leave I was like this is absolutely there is nothing about this that appeals to me at all just, and then then I read about the uh and this is very sad the suicide rate's really yeah, high I know. for I've dentists that. which is mm. which is a very very sad thing so that they, yeah. they were I've, all push factors why is that I've always wondered that I don't know. Dentists and doctors as well. Yeah, doctors as well. Um, Medical doctors as well, well, I believe. (laughs) Really? Yeah. I mean, yeah, would make sense. Um, I mean, I don't think there's one particular reason. I think it's multifactorial. But I think, like we were speaking about earlier, it's that notion of giving yourself to everyone else and constantly being on the go and constantly helping other people. And then also... I think you have to have a certain personality to go into those professions, Mm. you know, the type A, always being on top, always wanting to be the best at everything. And I think those two things coupled together can put a lot of pressure on someone. Mm. And I think that's a big part of it. I think there's obviously other external factors, but I think that would be a big part of why people struggle and also why people struggle in silence um, mm. because it's I, I think doctors especially find it difficult to speak out and seek help mm. and again it's not something that's talked about a lot we're trying to dispel the stigma of mental health but we also need to do that within professions as well mm. I think what what would you say if you don't mind me asking your greatest pressures are in what you do I think just for me personally I would say constantly being able to be there for others yeah I think it's difficult to let's take a morning surgery in a GP practice you're you have back-to-back let's say 20 25 patients in the morning and you know before the pandemic when we do things virtually that would be seeing patients back to back now it's phone calls back to back Mm. or half phone calls half seeing patients and each patient comes in with a different thing and you have to be present for each and every patient and I think that can be really difficult at times and for me over the years I've found ways to learn how to cope and how to manage and actually, if I need five minutes after a patient, even if that's going to make my clinic run over, 
I take that five minutes and I can go out and I go for a walk. And sometimes patients look at me like, where's that doctor going? Why is she walking out of the clinic? And it's just because I need that five minutes as much for myself, but also for the patients that are coming afterwards as well, because you need to be present and you need to be able to be on the ball. Totally. And I guess if we think about it, like just casually, think, oh, doctors work, it's fairly objective, they diagnose, but actually there is a subjective element of you, of course, being very invested in the individuals. Mm. So somebody, you, know, you might have a long-standing relationship with them. You know, they might experience something very sad. You might have to deliver really bad news to people. And we forget that that, that must be have quite an emotional toll on, on, on doctors as well. And yeah, that's not something, I guess even I've really thought about beyond considering it in this moment, that you might have to tell 25 people very bad news in the space of a few hours. Yeah, I think I think that is the most difficult part of it. And I think natural medicine and the science and the actual diagnosing and managing patients, for me, and I think for most doctors, that's the easy part because yeah. that's what you learn in medical school and that's what you do um, day in, day out. But I think the actual emotional side of it is what really takes its toll and often what you can take home with you and you have to try not to take home with mm. you it's that emotional baggage yeah on dealing with your patients on a day-to-day basis and the emotions that they are going through as well you yeah. you can't help but take it on mm. no. and also i it's it's the gratitude thing as well because for me personally when i was in hospital recently i really wanted to thank the doctor that had seen me and you know the the paramedics that looked after me but because you're kind of whizzed from one place to the next you don't really yeah. get to say thank high you high on a lot. laughing gas weren't you I was high on laughing gas at one point yeah I was like <laughs> cheers that was great <laughs> that's brilliant by the way um <laughs> Um, but I, yeah, but that that I felt. Um, I, I bet you feel that you. I don't know. Do you feel that you you miss out on on that? Because everyone needs praise in what they're doing, right? And it just feels like this is not an area where doctors get a lot of that. And also, after reading that book, is it this this is going to hurt? This is going to hurt. Mm, yeah, that was, that was a real eye opener. He is, says the same is. sort of thing. Yeah, I think it's yeah, one hundred percent. I do, sometimes we do get the little thanks and praises, which means so much when they do come through, because like you said, you you don't get it very often. Mm -hmm. So when a patient has taken their time to write in or write a card or write an email about, you know, how much you impacted them or what you thought might have been something so small was something so big to them. I think those little moments are what keep you going because it can be a stressful job. Mm. And when you get something like that, or when you hear something like that, you're like, oh, okay, this is why I do what I do. Mm. And those little moments are so important. And it is it is difficult, especially for, I think being a GP is a little bit easier in the fact that you have those relationships, those relationships with your patients. Yeah. Whereas a lot of hospital doctors, they're just so detached from their patients because it's like you were describing, patients are just moving so quickly Mm. from the ambulance to Mm. one ward to another ward that they don't often get that gratitude back. And Mm. I think that can be a really difficult part of being a doctor and it can take its toll, I think. Mm. I bet it really can. I bet it really can. Talking about representation, I noticed you've done a lot of work with young people as well, trying to encourage them in school. I think I saw you at a Lambeth school 
Yeah. It's not ideal for my lisp to say Lambeth. Lambeth, Lambeth. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, Lambeth so can you speak a little bit about that work that you're doing? Yeah, I think um, kind of following on from what I was saying earlier, I think it's so important for kids to realise that actually they can be and do anything that they want to be and do in a sense. And I think it's so important for kids to be able to see someone that looks like them in certain fields of work. And that's not just being a doctor. I think that applies to each Mm. and every field of work. I think it's so important for kids, especially from disadvantaged or less advantaged backgrounds to be able to see actually I've seen that person I remember when that person spoke to me at school and they were a doctor they were a lawyer or they were something else and they can realize that actually that is possible and I always say you can't be what you can't see if if Mm. you've never seen um, if you've never seen a teacher if you've never seen an actor that looks like you you don't think it's possible because you've never seen it. So I think it's really, really important to give back to the communities and to really try and instill that in young people. Mm. Nice. That's some sure really important work. And is that is that like a regular thing you do or not as regular as, as I would like. Um I would love to do something like that a little bit more regularly sounds like you're busy enough though i know read, yeah read, read, the list. read your kids about social media do it do it do it that way you don't need to travel <laughs> to places etc etc yeah i would love to do more of it um but yeah not as much as as i would like but definitely if people reach out to me on social media or, or email me i try to give them advice mm. and tips let's talk about the health of the nation now Oh God. <laughs> question. Like, the question was you know, on a smaller level having you know interacted with people on social media having seen people in person what do you think are significant changes that people could make in their life just to increase general level of wellness whatever those changes might be like what are reoccurring themes i would say um exercise or i don't often like to use the word exercise but just movement moving more I think we as a nation we just need to move more um it's so important obviously we know how important exercise is for our physical health but also I think for our mental health as well and I think that's one thing that lockdown has really I think taught a lot of people this year that actually just how much getting up and moving is important for how you're feeling on a day-to-day basis and a lot of people have a lot of my patients have said to me um, you know I didn't realize how important going out on a walk every day was and I just think that's something that we really need to instill and hopefully people keep going or keep using as a tool after lockdown lifts. I, I know for me, like if we don't get out the house and it's been harder in winter, hasn't it? You know, summer we were out every single day, but in the winter, if you have a whole day of just being inside, it, it really, I get depressed by the end of the day. And uh, I think people forget that link between physical and mental health is so important, yeah. isn't it? To, to move, as you say. 100%. I wonder if during, of course, in normal life, as it were, There are so many variables, you know, you can meet people that anger you, someone can push you, work can go bad, etc. But I guess in the lockdown life, 
there's been less variables. We're in the same building every day. We're not interacting with so many people, at least face-to-face. Even if we're on a Zoom meeting, we could just press mute and turn away. <laughs> so maybe it's made people realize more how what they eat and how they exercise actually affects their well-being because there are simply less external variables to, mm. to affect the well-being. I wonder. I think so, yeah. I, I do think so. I think it's... I think also people have realized what their coping mechanisms are as well in this time. Mm. I think, you know, people don't realize how important actually just going to work and seeing other faces yeah. or that um, 10 minute bus ride or train journey to work or being able to use the gym in the mornings. I don't think people realize how important that was to them mm. until it was actually all taken away. So I think people have also realized what works well for them what actually is important to them Mm. in their day-to-day lives and i think people have found ways to adapt to that as well yeah and is there anything on social media that you see a lot that you would like to just tell us all now to ignore like any (laughs) or anything in like an extreme netflix documentary like what the house or something that you just love to tell us all to ignore that's a good question (laughs) it's a good question gosh um I mean, there's definitely when the T-toxes came out. And <laughs> the, the diet tea and the... Yeah. I, if no one's gotten the message yet about those, definitely ignore. Um, IV, um, IV drips. What are they called again? They're not called IV drips. The ones that are popping up in, in like Box Park and you can go in for like... And one is like a hangover one. One is like yeah, a sunshine exactly. one. Exactly, yeah. I mean... <laughs> just be careful with what you're putting into your body at the end of the day. Um, a lot of these things aren't made, meant to be injected into your body. Mm. Um, a lot of them you're meant to get from your food that you eat on a daily, day-to-day basis. And there's no need to be injecting certain vitamins into your body. Mm. So um, please be careful and please do make sure you do your research. Mm. And um, ask who's actually injecting it into you, I guess, exactly, as well. Exactly, 100%. Because Some Shoreditch on... hipster just casually <laughs> walked up for work. <laughs> this is the point, because often they're not medical doctors, because most medical doctors wouldn't go near most of that stuff. So, <laughs> do, um, yeah, ask. Oh my God. <laughs> so, no tea, no unnecessary IV drips. What do you mean, what's the tea thing? Just because I don't know what that is. So, there was a social media thing where lots of like only wear of Essex kind of stars were like showing a before and afterwards, which is of course like probably 10 minutes and just sucking the belly in or something, <laughs> which was like diet. What there's like some famous brands like diet tea, like tea designed to help you lose weight. What, and you yeah. just drink yeah, two drink cups it a day and, and suddenly else. you lose like two stone and oh. get a six pack don't and a bigger think, bum from two. <laughs> don't you think we're kind um, of, the, yeah, go on. I was going to say a lot of them were just filled with, um, ingredients that we use in terms of diarrhea medicated well oh, no anti-constipation oh, medication so to make you just poop a yeah lot. so sometimes people would feel like they're losing weight and getting lighter yeah. because they're constantly on the toilet Do you know, i feel that we are moving away well maybe it's just what i who i follow and it's in my sphere but i feel like we are slowly moving away from that like you know five minutes to a six-pack type thing and the before and after pics and that have to look this way and flat stomachs and stuff and I see so many amazing women now popping up who are just 
as they are with their cellulite out with like their rolls hanging over their belly and I have to say I'm just loving it not saying like you know eat whatever you want and all the junk food and stuff and promoting it in that way but just a much healthier body image seems to be out there at the moment which I hope Mm. that health is moving in that direction Um, do you see that change? Yeah, I do. Definitely. There's a lot more body positivity and um, that representation out there. Again, I'm not sure if that's just because of who we're following. Yeah, exactly. Um, But there I do feel like there is gradually more and more. Slow, slow change being made. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Should we do some? We'll move on to some little quick fire quick questions. Fire questions that quick. never end up being that quick. To yeah, be honest, so they don't though. need to be particularly quick fire. <laughs> In fact, one question before we go into the quick fire, I'd like to ask about you building your kind of platform, your site, your social media. Was there always kind of like a, a niggling like marketing person inside you that like kind of graphic design and likes websites and stuff? Was that always <laughs> part of you, or is that something you you've kind of found and taught yourself with a way to communicate? Um, I think that's always been a little part of me. <laughs> I, I've always had a little bit of, there's kind of my science and medical brain over here. And then there's my creative side as well, which I think I've struggled with up until this point, knowing how to utilize that in my mm. career as a doctor, because being a doctor is just so kind of formulaic and sciencey and medical that I've struggled on how to really use that creative part of my brain so I think that this has done the job although I think there's still a little bit more creativeness waiting to burst out but I think this is doing the job okay that leads me on to my first quick quick fire question yeah is your handwriting really bad? Because most GPs have experienced have bad <laughs> like, handwriting. And you've just said you're creative. So you, do, do you go for flair rather than legibility? No, legibility. <laughs> My handwriting is, it's legible. And actually people are often surprised where they're like, oh my gosh, that's really good for a doctor. But it also kind of looks like you know when you're just starting to learn how to write and everything's <laughs> disjointed? Yeah. It's like all disjointed and very clear, but not very fancy. <laughs> Is there, because uh, you know you get so much, um, well, like you were saying, these documentaries, like what the health and you never n- quite know what to believe. Is there any documentary or TED talk or maybe even a, a podcast that you would suggest for people to have a look at if, um, well, just as a, a general maybe health and wellness platform or whatever it is that you suggest yeah definitely there's there's so many I, I would say in terms of books I would recommend a book um the four pillars of health by Dr Chatterjee mm. he's also a GP in the UK um so yeah I would recommend that he just gives a really simple overview of health and he looks at four pillars being sleep nutrition, relaxation, and movement. And I think it's just a really nice, simple way and a simple overview of health for anyone, especially starting out who mm. wants to learn more. I've heard of that one and it's been on my long book list for a long time. So I've got to read that. Is there anything that is particularly sacred for you? Whatever that means. Mm. I would say exercise, some some form of movement. It doesn't even need to be exercise, but just some form of movement every single day um but i'm a big i'm a big sports junkie what's what sport or exercise of choice Mm -hmm. me netball 
Are you, part of a t- you manage to be part of a team so it's not <laughs> this is what i don't understand with group sport i understand when, you, when people find the time to slide in things in their own time but to be part of a netball team it has to be coordinated you have to appease <laughs> other people in their times wow you do yeah i mean i have i did i have sustained an injury which i did about a year ago so i haven't been able to play for a year and also the pandemic as yeah. well um but i think that just adds to a little bit more structure in my life as well, although you might think it makes a little bit more chaotic, but it adds a little bit more structure. It just means actually those times that I have committed to playing with a team, Mm. I'm not doing anything else work-wise and that's my time as well. So it helps me actually just block off that time. And you're not a doctor for that hour exactly. or so and you could be, well, be you unless... could be a bit aggressive as well <laughs> <laughs> unless someone has an injury on court then they're just like <laughs> around <laughs> oh has that ever happened to you have you ever been out and about and someone's like we need a doctor and you've got to run to the scene yeah <gasps> quite, quite a few times really um, actually not recently i would say the one time that i remember quite vividly was the day that i the day that I, my graduation, my graduation day. Um, so I'm a new doctor, basically. Oh, <laughs> I've God. just graduated from medical school. And I was on the tube going back home after my graduation. And they made an announcement, any doctors, um, please go to X, Y, and Z platform. I remember being with my parents. I looked at them. I was just like, mm, well, do I count? And they were like, yeah, you're a doctor now. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, okay and I was just like well let me just wait a bit and see if anyone else goes because obviously I'm not now I'm not the most um I don't have the most experience but I'm still a doctor at the end of the day and then they made the call again a few minutes later I was like oh gosh okay I have to go um luckily it was something that I could manage someone had unfortunately fallen down the stairs and they just needed some attention but yeah it, it does happen and wow. it can be a little bit nerve-wracking um but what a proud day for your parents. Yeah. You graduate from medical school and save a life. Let's call it that. Let's call it you saved a life. <laughs> yeah, we can say that. That sounds like a better story, doesn't it? <laughs> oh, and okay, one last one then. If, if you ever have moments of sort of overwhelm or pressure, it, do you have a favourite quote that you always sort of come back to that, that you love? Oh, that's a good question. Um I would say you can't be everything for everyone and just making sure that you're not giving all of yourself to mm. everyone and mm. reserving some something for yourself yeah and another quote i'm going to add in there Do as it. well you can't pour from an empty cup i mm. always remind myself yeah. of that one and again it's just reminding myself that i need some energy and i need to focus on myself just as much as i focus on other people as well mm. perfect and that, that that first quote you said kind of relates to what you said about diversity earlier and you know you being more accessible let's well you or other groups can resonate with you more is that not everyone will resonate with you to the same degree etc uh so that that kind of that links back to that doesn't it you can't exactly. be every everything to everyone you mm. can't be the person that can reach that could be the voice for everyone Cool. Thank you so much. Now, what, hang on, what do yeah. you, oh, what well, do you want? Gonna... Oh, sorry, Harlow. Sorry. <laughs> oh, he's always taking over. No, I'm joking. <laughs> we were just going to say, um, where can people find you? Your Instagram, your website? 
Yeah, sure. So I'm at mindbodydoctor on Instagram, which is the best place to find me. Um, but you can also go to my website, which is mindbodydoctor.co.uk. And my email address is on there as well if you want to reach out. Amazing. Cool. I'm sure people see you around anyway in all of these magazines and stuff. <laughs> Maybe a book soon as well. Maybe not soon. Maybe in time. You know, speak it into existence. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much for the chat, Dawson. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a great conversation. Honestly, I'm balanced.